We hear about things going viral online. Viruses existed before the internet was invented. So the term viral spread didn't originate on the internet. It originated from the fact that we know that viruses spread. That's so what like, they it's do. It's like a bushfire. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, my name is Ez Chandra and on this episode we're having a chat about your health and taking control with Dr. Joe Kosterich. About Dr. Joe, we're going to introduce you and read out your profile. So, um, Dr. Joe Kosterich is a practicing doctor, speaker, author and health industry consultant. Joe is a regular in the media and is often called to give opinions in medico-legal cases. He is clinical editor of Medical Forum magazine, medical advisor and chairman of Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association. He teaches students at both UWA and Curtin Medical Schools. Previously, Joe held senior positions in the Australian Medical Association and sat on numerous industry and government boards. Welcome to the show, Joe. Good to be with you, Ez. Thanks, mate. Um, so I'm just going to get straight into some questions, mate. Um, mm -hmm. So obviously a lot's happening in the landscape at the moment. I'd like to just get started with like statistics and numbers and what your thoughts are in regards to the current situation um, with, with the virus and, and, and the globe and, and, and particularly Australia as well. Yeah. And look, as anything we say today is, is probably going to be out of date in, by tomorrow, let alone yeah. another six hours, uh, because it is evolving and we are in unprecedented times. And that is really important. And I think that behoves people to sort of understand that um, we don't have a roadmap to follow and that people who claim to be experts may be doing the best they can, but they're not infallible. So we need to be following all the directives and advisories that we are given, but also we don't want to assume that what we know today and best action today is going to be the same tomorrow. So the numbers are growing worldwide. Perspective does matter. Um, as we speak, the number of cases in Australia is about 1,900. There have been eight fatalities. My understanding is the youngest is somebody the age of 75. The oldest is 95. Now that's a mortality rate of about 0.4%. Mm. Youngest Each, is 75. The youngest is age 75. Yeah, okay. now, this is where these discussions become really difficult because when anybody dies, it's always sad for, for those people, you know, their loved ones and, and their families. However, last winter in Australia, we had 300,000 confirmed cases of seasonal influenza, and we don't know how many additional cases there were. They're in the order of between two and a half and 3,000 deaths associated with, not always due to, but associated with influenza each and every year. We don't stop life as we know it. Yeah. Uh, we don't put everybody into lockdown. And so far, we're at eight fatalities. Now, again, the, the view is that that number will in, increase, and the, it, it will. There is no question of that. Equally, equally, um, the, percent, the, the fear is based on the percentage mortality, that a large percentage of these pe people who get it may get Correct. very unwell. Because influence is 0.1 percentage. Yep. Yep. But what we don't know, what we don't know is how many cases there are for every confirmed case. And it is likely that there could be 10, 50, 100, maybe 1,000. Because the virus spreads like a virus. We hear about things going viral online. Viruses existed before the internet was invented. So the term viral spread didn't originate on the internet. It originated from the fact that we know that viruses spread. That's so what like, they it's do. It's like a bushfire. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What we don't normally do is track it. 
So every winter, people get viral illnesses, and a lot of people get viral illnesses. You know, most people will get some sort of cold in winter, and they may well pass it on to people. And normally, people go to work when they're unwell rather than stay home, but we don't track it. Um, we already know a lot of people get very mild symptoms, and a lot of people get no symptoms whatsoever. So whatever numbers we're seeing is a gross underestimate of the total. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I guess for everyone, it's obviously looking at the media and looking at all the statistics coming from medical uh, doctors, from data specialists and analysts, um, uh, government operators that are in, in medical um, industries as well. So they're, they're coming up with some astronomical numbers. So obviously they're looking at total population. So for example, I think the theory is if this was to, to spread in Australia, if you've got a population of 25 million people, um, they're saying that 40 to 70% of people will, will get this virus at one, in yep. one way or another. Yep. So you're looking at infecting a population of, at the very least, 10 million mm. in Australia. Um, now, I think there's a lot of issues around how they can combat that in terms of people that need to be hospitalised yeah. because out of those 10 million, you're looking at, they're saying, 20% 20, 20 needing to seek some sort of hospital help. Mm -hmm. The worst case scenario is that 5% of those will need uh, a ventilator or access to a ventilator. So you're looking at 5% of 10 million, which is yeah. half a million people, so 500,000 people. Mm -hmm. Probably not as big as a headache as what, say, countries like America have to go through or parts of Europe. But um, I guess that's where they're talking about flattening the curve. Yeah. curve is that right? So, and dealing with that. that and that concept of flattening the curve is saying it's going to spread, it's a given that it's going to spread, uh, we'll try to do the spread more slowly. The numbers that you've, you've quoted are based on fatality rates, based on current numbers. Yeah. Now, we, as mentioned before, we already know that there are a lot of people who don't have any symptoms or, or have minor symptoms. And we've had some very public examples of that. Uh, we've seen, you know, Tom Hanks, Idris Elba, um, Richard Wilkins. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of people who are saying, I've got this, I feel fine. So the percentage rates of serious cases and the, the, the case fatality percentages based only on confirmed cases overstate the situation. It will spread. It could well be that, as you said, 40 to 70 of the population may well get this virus. Um, and in that scenario, what really matters is protecting as best we can, and it's never perfect, it's never perfect, um, those who are most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So that does include the, uh, the elderly, and it does include those with the pre-existing medical conditions. But when we consider that each and every year in this country, somewhere between two and a half to 3,000 people are dying in association with influenza, so most of these people are over the age of 85, you know, this is not going to be you know, it's not shaping up to be quite as different as perhaps what we have seen before. And because it is more akin to a cold-type illness than a flu-type illness, it does spread more widely. More people will get a cold than a, than a flu. But the further and wider it's spread, um, a couple of things start to happen. Immunity does develop. 
and you will hear these cases that say somebody's been found to, to, to have it again. And those are the exceptions rather than the rule. And people will say, well, look, I had a cold winter and I got another one this winter. Yeah, you did. It's not the same virus. And people say, well, how do you know that? Well, we don't know that because we don't test it, but we do know that immunity forms once you've had exposure mm -hmm. to any form of virus. That's not to say that you can't get the same symptoms from, a, yeah. from another virus. So, so perspective does matter. You don't, you're not sort of concerned about, you know, hospitals being overwhelmed um, and, you know, dealing with that influx of... Yeah. of, of uh, look, I think that is the concern. Mm. Um, you know, by the same token, when one looks around the globe, we hear a lot about Italy. We don't hear a lot about Germany. Mm. They've got similar populations, um, and they, they, but the case fatality rate is much different in Italy than in Germany. Um, po uh, so the, the question is why? And I don't think we know the answer to that, but we need to be finding out. Uh, why is it that Taiwan which had the, almost the first exposure to this, has done remarkably well. Why are Japan and South Korea faring very well? And we don't know this, but it is the case, in my opinion, and look, you know, please, I could be proved wrong to, you know, later down the track. This may have more to do with the situation in different countries. It could be demographics. It could be a function of their health systems. It could be a whole host of other things. Mm. It says even if the same virus gets there, the end result may be different. And we might even see in Australia different um, outcomes in different cities and maybe even in different suburbs. So we do want to be protecting those at most risk. I think that is, that is important. But neither do we want to be working on the assumption that everybody is at equal risk. Yeah, not. It does, certainly doesn't seem to be a set mortality rate for every single country. It's no. so it's varying. The data is just so varied. Mm. And there could be milder doses of it um, or milder, milder spreads of it or uh, more serious um, uh, issues or versions well, of, the, of, the, yeah. of the virus, yeah. Um, well, I think we, we've already got a lot of Is that, is that how it works? Is yeah, we've different? already got a lot of public domain knowledge of people saying, you know, I've got this, I've been tested, I've tested positive, I feel absolutely fine. So that is the case. And for every one of those, there could be, you know, we, we don't know how many. I, I think as each day goes by, it's going to be an increasing number mm. who have no symptoms. They're not going to get tested. Um, or even if they have very mild symptoms, if they don't have a fever, they're not going to get, they're going to get tested. It doesn't mean they haven't got it. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, what we don't, this is what we don't know and we don't hear about. So we're not re we don't get the full picture. Um, so the picture we're getting is not wrong, but it's incomplete. It's the, yeah, incomplete picture. Yeah, yeah I understand. Um, so now, obviously, there's, this leads to the other question I have, which is around, you know, social media. And... The, this time that we're in and this out, outbreak of the virus, it's a totally different um, landscape at the moment and to what people would have had 100 years ago. Um, yeah. We've got way more access to, to media than we've ever had. Um, what is your take on on social media, the virus mm. <laughs> itself. Yeah, it's gone viral on social versus, media. Hey, versus the pun. virus. Um, yeah. do you, and, and how does that add to hysteria, do you think? Yeah, fear and panic has never made anything better. Mm. Social media is a tool. It's a bit like a knife. It can be a force for good or for bad. If you've got a knife, 
you know, it helps cut your food, that's a really good thing. Um, if somebody uses a knife to stab another person, that's a bad thing, but it, the knife is, is inert. So social media is a function of how people use it. So it can be a force for good. Information can get out there. Uh, it can put people in touch with one another. I know of um, you know, younger people who are FaceTiming, they can't catch up with their friends at the bar, so they're having a FaceTime. So they can see each other's faces and they can keep in contact. So that's a really good thing. Equally, um, everybody has a, has a soapbox and everybody can express an opinion and I don't think there's any shortage of, uh, of fake news out there. So we do need to, to a degree, um, limit our, our exposure to, to social media. I think it's good to keep in touch. We do have to be questioning of, of a lot of what we come into contact with. Equally, um, sometimes lateral thoughts and, and lateral takes might not be popular, but you know, I always go back to Galileo. When he said the world was round, he was you know, absolutely vilified by all the people at his time and he was proved to be, uh, be right. So people who go against the grain are not gonna be popular in these times. Doesn't always mean that they're wrong. So we need, and I wanna get back, this is a really important point is, we need to be complying with the changing directives and, and advisories that we would be given. But that doesn't mean that we have to switch off our thinking faculties, and it doesn't mean that we can't be questioning of what is being done and continuously asking, this was right to, you know, yesterday, is it still right today? Hmm. I think that, that that is really important. If we lose the ability to be questioning and constantly sort of saying, do we need to change tack? Do we need to do something different? Is the data as reliable as we think it is? Look, I'd recommend people Google um, John P. Ioannidis, I-O-N-A-N-N-I-D-I-S, who is from Stanford. He wrote a piece on stat.com where he's probably the, the most knowledgeable assessor of data and evidence that I've come across. And he's been very, very critical over the years, not just now, of medical data and trials and saying that they're not properly done, they're not well verified, you know, we're relying on them, but we're a bit on sort of thin ice. And he has sort of calculated that the case fatality rate could be as low as 0.5%. Now, it could be higher than that. He's not saying it is that low. But people like John are saying, well, before we all just charge off and assume that the worst case scenario is you know, but the, the, the best that it can possibly be, that maybe we need to consider that there are other scenarios. So not ignoring or not saying we shouldn't be concerned or that take the necessary steps, but also be constantly questioning. Yeah, so um, the other thing was going back to social media, um, you, you know, just people like myself and regular people, we were constantly checking it. Mm. and getting updates and you know we wake up in the morning as what's that what's happening what's the latest and i think it's it's saturating us right it's it's on linkedin it's on twitter it's yeah. on youtube it's on um facebook it, it's on every second feed or yeah. almost every feed yeah. it's on everyone's minds um so what what are your suggestions from obviously from a mental health perspective um what sort of recommendations can you guide the public with Look, I think we, we, having a bit of a break from, from screens and social media is probably not a bad thing. Uh, we don't want to be entirely uninformed, but we don't need to hear about every update. Uh, you know, the analogies have been made with the Spanish flu 100 years ago. You didn't hear about every case. If you're in Australia, you didn't hear every, about every case in Europe or, or America. So sometimes it's about switching off and actually looking at the real world that is around you. 
you know, how are your family doing? If they're all health, you know, healthy and doing well, then you know, maybe try chatting with them rather than chatting on, on so, you know, it's, it's, I know it's radical. Um, but, you know, there is, a, there is a disconnect when you talk to people. It's like, look, I look around in my life, and, and sure, not in cafes and, and shops that have closed, but for a lot of people, if they're in their house they're, and, and they're feeling quite well, they're hearing about all this, this, these, these issues going on around them. But day to day, there are some you know, parts of life that, that continue as is. So focus on what you can control. And you can control the on-off button, and I think we should be doing that. Not to lock ourselves away and, and pretend it all isn't there, but say, look, I'm just going to get an update once a, a day, or you know, I'll tune to a reliable you know, source, you know, something like Sky News, for example, um, or you know, a, a reliable source, The Australian, that there are a number of, of good, uh, you know, the West Australian, WA, different newspapers in Australia and, and overseas, you know, reliable sources. So just keep it to once a day, that's your recommendation, Not, no more than that. I wouldn't. Look, I, don't I don't oversaturate yourself, basically. Look, I think yeah. that is reasonable. Once yeah. upon a time, you know, there was a morning newspaper and there was the six o'clock news. And we sort of got by. You know, it was okay. That system does still work. If there is something... Like, you know, we, we know that the, the Prime Minister of the National Cabinet is, is putting out daily advisories. There's nothing so far that has been announced that takes effect the minute it has been announced. You know, everything comes into play you know, the next day or a couple of days later. So, you know, if you, if you don't hear it live, you're not going to, you know, to miss out. Yeah. Um, you know, go for a walk outside in the, in the fresh air. Obviously, we can't go to, to, to gyms now. Uh, you know, some fresh air is, is good for us. A little bit of sunshine while we've still got it is, mm. in, you know, it's in I have noticed a lot of people out and mm. about in yeah. going for more than I've ever seen it before. Yeah. Um, in and that's a really and, good, yeah. good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that exercise supports the immune system. Again, focus on what we can control rather than what we can't. Mm. Exercise is good for our immune system, managing our stress, getting enough sleep. All of a sudden, not really much excuse yeah. to not get enough sleep anymore. And that's good for our immune system. None of these things are a force field. So people will say, oh, there's no proof that it helps. Well, there is evidence that it does help. Help is not the same as guarantee. So just simple things like getting some good sleep and, mm. and rest and exercise mm. and yeah. diet. And, and, and eating things. sensible food. Yeah. So um, you know, the, these are not difficult, uh, difficult things to do and there are things we can control. Um, so it goes on to my next question, which is around the economic impact. Mm. And obviously we're hearing it on the news, we're hearing it on social media, but then now we're seeing it. Yeah. Um, we're seeing businesses shut down, um, people losing their jobs, um, government coming up with some really radical uh, um, stimulus packages mm -hmm. to help people through um, these, these rough times. And also, some of the words they're using is quite radical as well. So, I mean, how do you, how do you sort of um, see this economic impact um, versus the actual, the impact of the actual um, virus itself? Yeah. Yeah. Look, there are a number of writers and, and, and people, and I'm in that category, who have real concerns that the reaction May cause will cause more damage than the than the virus because uh, it'll be longer lasting and arguably affect more people. Um, uh, for example, there was a piece on a, um, a website called MJA Insight, which is uh, part of the Medical Journal of Australia by a public health writer, who gave some statistics on illnesses after the GFC and how recessions and unemployment uh, contribute to poverty, much greater increase uh, increases in suicide, more cases of cancer, um, heart disease. Now, these won't be making the paper every day. We won't see a toll of that, and it won't happen today or tomorrow or next week. 
But when it does happen, it'll be very real. So this is where it gets extraordinarily difficult. And you know, nobody, in my opinion, should have, but they are, should have to be in a position to make these sorts of decisions. Because on the one hand, we've got, um, you know, and, and doc, opinions vary in medicine. So doctors saying, look, we don't do you know, enough, we will, you know, it'll cost us lives. But that doesn't take into account that actions that we take may also cost lives, different ones at a different point in time. Now, because it's down the track and because it's hidden, it doesn't really get considered. Now, how you make these trade-offs and determinations, and again, I'm not going to express any opinion on that. And I'm certainly not saying that what's being done is not the right thing to do. But I think it's important that those considerations are recognised. We can't ignore them or pretend that it doesn't matter. Yeah, for me, I feel that um, obviously, yeah, there's the effect of the virus and what it has on our health system and obviously people um, losing lives as a result. And we have to protect those people. Mm. But equally, I feel like the, uh, the, the storm that's created economically um, mm. Is is almost just as just as um, um, terrible and, mm. and unfortunate. So, um, and it's a fine balance, isn't it? It's, look, it's hard to, to it keep is. that. Yeah. And, and the further we go, and the more we find out, and I'll you know I'll stick my neck out here. And so the more we find out that this virus is not as serious as we're claiming it is. And when I say as serious, that doesn't mean it doesn't cause serious cases. That's really an important consideration. It will and does cause serious cases, and some people will succumb. But if half the world's population are going to get it and you know 99.99 percent of those people are going to be fine then was switching off the economy the right reaction or response and i completely get that governments can only act with the the information that they've got and uh, you know again they're, they're acting on the side of you know of over caution but as each day and week goes by then each time every you know at all points this has to be re you know, reconsidered and re-questioned. Mm. Is it still the right thing to do? Mm. Um, at, you can shut down businesses for a while, but at some point they don't come back. If cafes shut for six months, they won't come back. If gyms shut for six months, they won't come back. As, I'll give you an example. Um, I was talking to a lady yesterday who works for a business that makes cakes, and they supply cafes and restaurants. How many suppliers are there out there? How many other businesses that support the sectors that are closing down? Um, security people who work at sports venues, um, cleaners who work at hotels. And a lot of these people aren't on top dollar incomes and wages. They're just getting by. Yeah. So yes, the, the government is providing some, uh, you know, some stimulus support to them and, and supporting people who are unemployed. But the, the question does arise, and it's, it's a terrible question, and I don't know and I'm not pretending to have the answer, but you know, the question does arise, at what point may we be doing more damage to more people by the response than, than actually saving people from uh, succumbing to the virus? And it's a terrible question, and I'm not saying that anybody's doing anything wrong, but you know what, if we don't ask the question, we can never consider it. And obviously noticing is, um, is the way that matter is being treated by s several governments. So certain governments, it's the way they're approaching the speed of it mm. um, and how they're actually responding very quickly, especially China and South Korea. They can basically um, adapt, put a lot of resources around the issue and try and resolve it as quickly as possible. Whereas with the Western countries and, and particularly our government, um, things, we're, we're not as agile. And mm. do you think that 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 can actually create this economic hardship because 
something that we perhaps could really shut down, take care of perhaps in two to three months, it's really being brought out over a six month period. And like you said, businesses, people could probably do without income. Some people can't, but you can probably live without two months of income, but six months. And it's not only that, uh, people can do, might be able to do without income, but what is there then when they go back? Can they just switch back on their, their businesses? Right. Um, so that is where it's, it's longer lasting. Uh, Singapore and you know, Taiwan have been able to manage this without lockdowns. They've been much more zealous in terms of um, testing and quarantining those at risk. And Taiwan in particular, uh, started this in mid-January when the WHO was still tweeting that there's no evidence of uh, you know person-to-person -person transmission. Uh, yeah. The tweet hasn't aged terribly well. Um, one advantage we have in Australia and to a degree parts of America, um, not in the bigger cities, is that we do live further apart. Uh, you know, in suburbs, it's a little bit different to, to, to apartment blocks. So, you know, we are a bit more isolated even on a, you know, on a good day. Again, this doesn't seem say that, you, that it can't spread. Um, look, there are some natural advantages. Slightly warmer climate seems to be a natural um, advantage. Um, but really strictly um, dealing with known cases, quarantining the known cases is vital and as best possible isolating those who would be at a potential potential risk. This is the, you know, the vulnerable groups. So for example, you know, they've had visitors barred at, at aged care facilities. And look, sadly, I think that probably is the best outcome. Loneliness and isolation isn't a great thing either. And it would be terrible if relatives can't visit for the next three months because you know, that also has consequences. Mm. Again, maybe those consequences aren't as severe and it's, and it's right to do it. I think we just get back to this fundamental fundamental question that everything we do has other consequences and we just need to make that um, you know we need to make those judgments not assume that what we do has no consequences um, we might accept them we might say we can, we can actually do this is what we have to do but we actually think have to think about it yeah um, okay on to my uh, next questions which is around um, you know uh, handling fear and anxiety from a personal level um, you know, how does one sort of like combat that? And, you know, and it's going to keep coming in. It's going to, a lot of people are going to have their anxiety levels raised, um, especially with the news and what's happening. How do you, how do you sort of deal with that on a personal level? Part of it is, is switching off. Um, so not exposing yourself to, you know, to overload of, of updates and, you know, the, the, the latest, which may or may not even be the, you know, the case. Uh, look, what we know, we know looking after our mental health can be improved by getting enough by getting enough sleep, uh, maybe doing some guided meditations or uh, you know, relaxations or deep breathing type exercises. And there are a lot of those that you can use your phone for that rather than for, uh, you know, for Facebook. Uh, we know that some regular exercise is good for our mental health. People who do regular exercise and walking is fine. You don't have to go fast if you can go for it, but you don't have to, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, up to 40% lower rates of, uh, of depression. We know that uh, just you know, a little bit of fresh air and sunshine is good for our mood. We all feel better when the sun is shining. You know, you, know, you look outside, it's a blue sky, you just feel a little bit uh, you know, a Which little is bit fortunate better. in yeah. this country is that we've got, that, yeah, got access to it. And we know that diet makes a difference as well in mental health. There was some work done literally just last year showing that a Mediterranean type diet, essentially one that's got more vegetables, some fruits, olive oil, you know, good quality proteins, um, as against a diet high in, in processed carbohydrates, 
you know, improves mental health. So these are get, get back to what's good for our physical health and immunity is generally good for our mental health as well. So we get a lot of bang for the buck in these mm. things. There's certain people, there's two types of people I sort of see that when I'm talking to everyone. One is that, you know, the sky is falling and one is that, um, uh, you know, no, it's not, it's not everything's mm. going to be okay and we're going to get through this. Um, had, I guess there's, yeah, there's two parts of society. How do you sort of combat that? And I don't think you can. People <laughs> are as they are, as I think they've been that way since the dawn of time. And I'm certainly in the it'll be okay camp. And um, whilst I'm not a, a scholar of history, history is actually on the side of that group because the world is still here. And I think there have been a lot of predictions that the world is going to end. Uh, you know, it was going to end in 2012 at the end of the Mayan calendar. Uh, we were going to blow ourselves up in the 80s with nuclear war. Um, you know, you go back to the bubonic plague. You know, there's been doomsday predictions for mankind since mankind has been around. We're still around and we will be around. Um, so, look, people who like doomsday... Doomsday preppers. They do so. Yeah. And, um, you know, this might be a little bit sort of... Uh, politically incorrect, but you know, up until a few weeks ago, um, changes in the weather was going to end the planet, and that was the doomsday. And now this is going to end the planet. It's going to be the doomsday. So, the 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 reason changes, but those who like a doomsday scenario, and people always have, it goes back to biblical times, um, do it. Um, but history is on the side of the um, those who say the world will keep turning. Yeah, certainly. Looking at perspective and the whole situation, that it will pass is what you're saying, and we will move on and we will survive. Um, I like to talk a bit more about just the notion of gratitude and how people can just mm. be a little bit more mindful of what to be grateful for in times like this. Um, mm. how, how important do you think gratitude is um, uh, right look, for, is for a, us right now? Oh, I think that's really, you know, that really is important. Um, you know, most of us in Australia have a roof over our heads. You know, most of us, and, and look, there are homeless people, but the vast majority have a roof over their heads and most of them will have something to eat tonight. And, you know, a significant proportion of us, um, you know, do have um, family and friends, uh, you know, around us. Um, you know, even today, in many parts of the world, a lot of people live day to day um, you know, in abject poverty. And on any global standards in Australia, we do have a lot um, to be grateful for. And look, it is important to, to remind ourselves. And um, so that is, that is also a part of, uh, of good mental health, yeah. is focusing on the positive. Um, I mean, I do that on a daily basis. Um, look, think of things to be grateful yeah. for. It could be three things, um, mm. usually before you go to bed or yeah. when you wake up. Um, do you think a simple practice like that is, is quite useful as a oh, tool, especially absolutely. around now? Yeah. Absolutely, especially before you go to bed, rather than wondering if the world's still going to be there when you get up, you know, be grateful for, um, you know, for example, the roof over your head, mm. that you've got clean running water coming through your taps, that you have had, you know, enough to eat today. And I'm not diminishing that there are people who are going hungry, but, you know, for most of us that, yeah, we've had something to, to eat that we've got a phone that we can actually switch off, mm. you know, hello. Um, you know, there's a lot that, you know, for our friends, for our family, um, you know, if even for those we've, you know, loved and lost, um, for the work that we have, if we still have it, for the work that we had, um, for what we might do in the future. You know, there, there is a lot, if we start to make a list, um, that we can be grateful for. Yeah, I mean, some of the things that I think about is um, obviously uh, family, and um, it's giving, you know, now having to, you know, homeschool children or keep kids at home, 
it's that opportunity to spend time more more mm. time with our children than we've ever had before. So mm. <laughs> whether that's good or bad for some, but um, it is a it is a great opportunity. Um, the other thing is that what I've what I've noticed is through these times is when people really step up and support each other. So if you do have a good support group around you, that's something to acknowledge as well. Um, so just things like that. And the other thing is, I mean, even the fact that we have the internet. Um, mm. And we have access to a lot of things that can be harmful, obviously, yeah. but there are a lot of good things we can still communicate. You know, my mum's obviously um, in isolation at home, but I can still uh, conference call her and check yes. on her and she can still see my, my, her grandson and so forth. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of positives if to take out of it mm. versus, say, yeah. what they would have gone through in the Spanish flu. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> That's completely correct, everything you've said. And, um, you know, we see in these times, you've got to remember, there are 7 billion people on the planet, you know, a little bit different. See the worst of humanity and you see the best of humanity. Unfortunately, it's the worst that gets reported yes. rather than the best. Mm -hmm. So we see about the people who've been, you know, depleting shells and, and it is real. But, you know, we don't see, we're starting to see a little bit more now about the people who've, you know, given a, a for example, a roll of toilet paper, or, you know, to their next door neighbours. Uh, you know, I heard on the radio this morning, uh, some lady drove up, so there was a queue, at, as there is at Centrelink, and had some bottles of water that she started distributing to people. Um, so, you know, those stories are less likely to make the news, mm. but they're out there. And there's plenty of them. Mm -hmm. if you, I mean, it does, it's not hard to look and, and they're there. Where do you see the whole situation with the toilet paper and um, what's the psychology behind that? Yeah, <laughs> the understanding, get, yeah. it's the herd Just mentality. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, people see, suddenly they see empty shelves. And, and a good mate of mine said, if people took an extra, um, uh, you know, an extra packet of toothpaste, it doesn't make such a big hole in the shelf as if there's a few missing 24 rolls of toilet paper. People sort of look and think, oh, maybe there's a shortage. These people know something that I don't. We're all a bit nervous. We think everybody might be a bit smarter than we are. These people know something. I better do the same as, as they're doing. And then it becomes a stampede. You know, we, we do have a herd mentality as, as humans. There is no shortage of any of these goods other than an artificially created one by people buying enough for 10 years rather than 10 days. I mean, I didn't even think about it like that, but you're totally right. It's about the fact that the toilet paper package takes up a lot of volume yeah. visually, yeah. and it's one of the most, you know, biggest things yeah. on the shelf. So yeah, I didn't think gone, of that one, I must point out, is I won't <laughs> take credit, I'll repeat it, but well, I didn't think of it. <laughs> but when it's gone, yeah. it, it looks awfully yeah. empty. But like you said, if it's a couple, if it's a toothpaste aisle mm. um, and all the toothpaste is gone, it's not as impactful yeah. visually, so. And yeah. I mean, Australia, supposedly where it started, it actually started, as I understand, in Auckland. And then it, again, it goes viral, viral. Uh, to use a terrible pun, around the world. And everybody thinks, well, these people are ahead of us. They must be doing, you know, they're doing it. I better need to do it too. And then it does become self-propelling. Fortunately, I was in the supermarket on, uh, on Saturday and compared to the beginning of the previous week, um, look, still some empty shells. It's, a, it's an eerie sight, but much more restrained. And even, you know, I'll put my hand up on this. Going into the supermarket about a week or so ago, you can almost feel the, the, the tension and the anxiety. It's just not something we're used to seeing. And, and you have to sort of take a couple of breaths in and say, well, am I going to get drawn into this and join the stampede? Or am I going to take a few deep breaths? And as there's a fantastic Buddhist saying, it says, this too shall pass. 
uh, to get back to what we were talking about before. Mm. Um, and that's thinking about what yeah. happens on the other side of this. Yeah. How, you know, when we come out of this, mm. what's our position and our state of mind going to yeah. be? It's just everything's going to come back to normal mm. and the storm will settle. Yeah. yeah, and look, there will be some recalibration. And there'll be some interesting recalibration. It may well be that people actually take seriously the idea that if you're not well, you don't just soldier on and go to work, uh, go to work by you know, buying yourself some cold and flu tablets. Um, that, that doesn't make you a hero. That's not a good thing. Um, that looking after our own health is important. Um, that maybe uh, you know, in employment, this notion everybody has to show up from nine till five, um, you know, clogging the freeways and like, you know, maybe that isn't that. Maybe there's a lot that people can do from, from home. Mm. Uh, you know, I've had a few instances of work that I'm doing where they're now saying yeah fine you can do it from your, your office at home um, look it's not a big deal for me to go to the places I go to but it's going to save me um, you know, probably 20 to 40 to 60 minutes round trips if I can if I can do that we still need to be in contact I'm not saying the office is going to go away but we might need to rethink that which we just held as vital and maybe we find out there are other ways of doing it. So there, there, there will be some recalibration and some of it will be for the better. Mm. I mean, I think as humans, we, did, we do need that connection, even the physical connection Absolutely. as well. Um, and just having a chat and sitting down is, is a lot more different mm. than doing it through a web call. But, um, you know, I think we, we do live in a strange time and it, it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the other side and how um, things just like going to the restaurant, will that change? You know, will restaurant businesses turn around and pick up and go again um, or will it take some time um, to condition look that that's a good it's just know, that, that's real, we'll have to wait and see on that yeah. one but there, there will be the longer it goes the more there will be a pent-up demand um, for people who are going to say look as soon as I get the opportunity to do this I want to do it uh, now they're going to have to have the cash reserves to do it, but look, you can go to a restaurant and buy something that's not, you know, silly expensive. You don't have to have the, you know, filet mignon. Um, and the other thing, people are going to want to hug each other. You know, and you think about as a society how risk averse we had become. Anybody taps you on the shoulder, you know, is worried that they'll be accused of sexual assault. I think a lot of people are going to say, you know what? Somebody gives me a hug. That's actually a good thing. Um, so I'm really hopeful that some of the preciousness um, that we've seen in society over the last 10 to 20 years and the taking offence at everything, how you know, a tweet is the biggest problem that you've got to face, some of those um, bad traits in society that we've gotten because we could and because we've just become soft and, and lost resilience, um, you know, some of those might hopefully get left behind. Yeah, I, f I feel uh, th there's a bloody good celebration coming on at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Yeah, roll on 2021. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I think uh, just a few more things. Um, one of them is um, how do we take back control um, through the, all of this? Obviously, that's the main that's the main topic, but of this podcast. But um, I, I think you've touched on some of these points, but. How do, we, how do we move forward? How do we take back control and get control of our lives right now? Yeah. Number one, focus on what you can control. You can mm. control what you eat, you can control your, you know, your stress levels as best you can, you can control your, your sleeping routine, you can control doing a little bit of exercise, you control whether you, you know, switch on or off the phone and how much social media you, can, you, know, you consume, you can control how you interact with the, you know, the people around you. What, it's a cliche, one day at a time. 
Mm. You know, we really need to focus on what we're doing today, not, think not too try far to ahead. think too far forward. Yeah, people are going to need to start to plan, but mainly we really want to be focusing on, on, the, on the now. Because if you're sitting there now and listening or, or watching this, you know, if you, again, as I said before, you've got a roof over your head, you've had something to eat, you know, you've got some support from friends or family, either, you know, right around you or, you know, via the internet, then that's you as we sit here, you know, this instant. So focus on what you can control rather than what you can't. That'll vary day to day. And take one day at a time. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah, and I think that's... The whole thing behind this is that we tend to, as humans, think too far ahead, think the worst case scenario, doomsday, so forth, but we have to just hold on to the positives and just focus on one day at a time, like you're saying. Mm. All right, um, I think um, that's pretty much it. So that's all my questions. Um, thanks for joining us and for doing this podcast and taking the time yeah. and coming to see us. Um, how can people find out about you, Dr. Jones? Uh, look, Ayers, it's been a, a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, look, my website is www.drjoetoday.com. Um, and if you go on there, we've got some blogs, we've got some um, you know, podcasts and videos and uh, you know, also links to my own social media if you want to go there, but I completely understand if you don't at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, lovely. Thanks, uh, thanks Dr. Joe, and um, yeah, that's a wrap. All right, you happy with that? I mean, it, was, it was recording, wasn't it? <laughs>